Hello, and welcome to the Haunted Davenport podcast, where we talk about retro horror and sci-fi television. For this episode, we're delving into animation, which we normally do every May. This one might be coming to you just a tiny bit late, so please forgive us. But we're going to explore the wonderful world of Cowboy Bebop, which is a gem and classic of anime and fairly well known if you were growing up in the 90s. And we're going to go full spoilers. We will discuss a few episodes in depth and talk about the series as a whole. So if you haven't seen Cowboy Bebop before, we highly recommend that you at least check it out a little bit before listening to this discussion because there are major plot points that will be spoiled. And without further ado, here is our discussion of Cowboy Bebop. I think it's time to blow this scene, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, let's jam.
Andy, okay. you want to give us a synopsis of the series? Sure. So Cowboy Bebop is, a, it, it transcends a lot of genres, but at its core, it's basically a space western. Um, it has a lot of cyberpunk elements. It draws heavily from John Woo movies. There's a lot of organized crime and revenge-oriented stuff going on in the series. Um, it's jazzy and cool in a way that I don't think any anime before it ever was, and in a way that I don't think a lot of TV series actually managed to master um, before or since. It's it's uh, it's really a case of lightning in a bottle. It's a seminal work. Um, but basically, it revolves around uh, four bounty hunters who base themselves on the starship Bebop that travels between Earth and Mars and you know, some of the moons of Jupiter um, as they go hunting for bounties, which, uh, it, you know, sometimes the consequences are hilarious, sometimes they are very dire, and sometimes they're just sort of strange. Um, and that's the series in a nutshell. We specifically watched five episodes to talk about in depth and Val do you remember what the order was as far as like within the series we would yeah. go in series order yeah so we started with episode 11 toys in the attic and then we jumped to uh episode 18 speak like a child or I guess they're called sessions um in the show and then session 20 uh Puro LeFou and then session 22, Cowboy Funk. And then we ended it with session 24, Hard Luck Woman. Nice. Yeah, we, oh, and we I, forgot say... to, I forgot oh, to introduce yeah. everybody. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> guys. So if you're new to the show, Val is our newest co-host. And um, Andy has been with us the whole time. My name is Allison. And also with me is Drew. Oh, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so sorry about that, guys. We're a little sleep deprived around these parts. Alrighty, well. This is a very rare occasion where we're recording in the morning. I know. <laughs> Everything's all thrown off. <laughs> so, let's see. The first one we're going to talk about was Toys in the Attic, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Andy, you're the one who suggested Toys in the Attic. Do you want to talk about like why you thought this was an important episode to be discussing? Um. Yeah, I, I like Toys in the Attic because it's th there are a lot of episodes that incorporate kind of horror themes in them. There's a lot of strange stuff that happens in the series throughout. And I should say we, we picked five episodes out of the original run of 26 episodes. So this is a full uh, half year season that they ran. Um, but I picked Toys in the Attic because it is the most horror uh, based episode. There's a lot of interesting horror tropes in it. Um, the ending is ambiguous. Uh, it, there's, uh, it, it, it could have been the end of the series right there, um, because the, um, the characters in this episode all appear to die at the end of it uh, as the result of some uh, unknown virus that everyone has contracted due to being attacked by a beast. Um, and it's... I don't know. There, there's something about the episode I really like. It's so it's it's so unique, even in a series full of unique episodes. It's very strange. Right. They also I really love this episode as well. Um, there's a lot of reference towards Alien in this episode, which is kind of one of the best space horrors ever. And so there's that, and then they also make a few like kind of little play jokes of Star. Trek in this episode 
which is good fun. Anytime you, you reference Star Trek is good fun. Well, this... Well, I Okay, so full disclosure, I still haven't seen every episode in the series, but... Dun, dun, dun. I know, but oh, I... No. I we're all more versed in something than Allison. I know. <laughs> I, I, I was a big fan of the series that came out after this that was created by the same team called Samurai Champloo, and so I, I'm more, more versed in that one than this one, but... I think one of the things that hits home about this one that's a hallmark of the series is the combination of sort of poignant sorrow with also humor. And this episode's really fun because it's creepy and weird and kind of gross, but also really humorous in the horror as well. I mean, the source of the horror is pretty (laughs) clear. Don't leave things in the fridge. I know. Who hasn't opened up their fridge and found something that was forgotten and kind of had, you know, a jump scare moment where you're just like, oh, God, what is that thing? Sure, that one Tupperware container in the very back of the fridge that... Actually, I feel like you could put in a sound clip of, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the character in Alien, but she, she's... When they're having the dinner scene and the the creature, the little baby alien pops out of, is it John Hurd? Yeah. Yeah. John Hurd's chest. And then, uh, and then, Oh gosh, I cannot think of the actress's name. And I'm really sorry. Cause I'm just blanking on her name right now. Picture her face. She's on the X-Files too, but she, she has this awesome reaction. She's like, Oh God, what is that thing? <laughs> and it's just like, you know, like I'm paraphrasing, but like it's basically like the best reaction. She's just flipping out. I feel like sometimes when you open the fridge and you find something really old in there that's no longer identifiable, it's a little on that level. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I I really enjoyed watching this episode specifically for like the the quarantine time that we're living in right now because the episode itself is really claustrophobic compared to the rest of the Bebop series. Oh it's yeah. The only one that's entirely self-contained on the ship, like they're on the ship, they're not ported anywhere in any of the the ports that they go to and they're just in the dead of space like there's no other traffic around them or anything and this thing is just like picking off crew members one by one um and then we all we get to like see a little like a little more in depth of all of their personalities and sort of their personal philosophies about their existence in space in this episode in the life lessons mm-hmm. um my favorite it's also yeah. heavily using inner monologue which yeah. is something they don't do a lot in the show. No, it gives it like a really like having Spike's voiceover when he talks about what like the events on the Bebop that day. It feels very like detective noir, um, mm-hmm. which is a cool. I really like it when we get because Spike is such an insulated character. Like I feel like we see a lot of like development around him, but Spike is pretty central the whole way through. And so to like get his take on the situation, um, presumably posthumously, uh, because no one survives this, except for Ed doesn't die. Except, yeah, yeah well, Ed, Ed may or may not die, because we Ed don't know if the creature is edible or not. Yeah. <laughs> That's Unclear. true. Ed, Although, could, Ed could suffer from uh, some poisoning later. I think, that, I think that Ed would would be a character that if someone could 
could best this thing, it would be Ed. <laughs> My money. Is, isn't her lesson, if you see a stranger, follow them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which is the best and worst advice and selectively applicable. They <laughs> <laughs> also um, have, like, very, very fey advice, which is a very, like, survival of the fittest sort of sentiment where she's like, what is it to fool and be fooled is the reason that we live because at the beginning of the episode, she is grifting um, Jet out of all of his belongings and his clothes. Yeah. And to what gain? Like, they're all trash. So she can rent it back to him. <laughs> yep. This episode of, of all of, of any of the episodes I've seen made me think of a series that was to come out a couple years after this, which was Firefly. And there's definitely some similarities between the crew camaraderie and these little slices of life on the ship. And I think, I think that's really fun that you have, it's, it's a completely different series in tone in some ways, but, um, but also, also yeah, also (laughs) a space Western with really lovable characters. And I feel like, this episode could have also taken place on Firefly. It absolutely could have. Well, Firefly has that one episode where it's all flashbacks on how they got to the point where it's just Mal alone on the ship, running out of air, trying to fix the the oh, broken... Yeah. Is it the engine that breaks? Oh, it's been a few years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in in a couple in a couple too. years, it'll be old enough for us to cover here. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Firefly, so don't ruin it for me. <laughs> well, I think you'll enjoy it, though. It's it's very, it's just very endearing. I remember yeah. hearing about it for years, and then, um, gosh, like, over a decade ago, when I was living in a shared house with a bunch of artists and stuff, one of them was a huge Firefly fan. He's like, fan. He's like, let's hang out and craft, and we'll all watch this as a group. And I fell in love with it immediately. So thanks, Eli. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been on my like to watch list since I think 2013. I just like haven't, you know, so much TV has come out between now and then that's been recent and new. It, I sort of always forget about it, but it's still streaming. So sure. Yeah. And if my- you ever need to, we have the whole series on DVD. So oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, back back to Bebop. Um, so. I thought maybe before we get into some of the other episodes, it'd be fun to talk about some of the general aspects of the show. Like um, when we were watching the introduction recently, Drew, you were commenting about how it's a lot like a James Bond film, the way the animation is. And the oh, music yeah. The, the beginning. intro itself is totally 1960s to 70s jazzy spy film. It's you gorgeous. Know. Yeah. It's it, so well it's... done. And, and I it, thought... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Andy. It it lets you know that you're really in for something. Like when you you first hear those horns in the very beginning, it just, just, oh. Right. And then, oh, sorry, Val. Oh, no, sorry. Um, So Andy and I first watched this series when it was airing on Adult Swim, or was it Toonami? Which one was it? No, it was Adult Swim. This this was the first anime, in fact, that Adult Swim ever ran. Oh, that's crazy. But that was in like 2002, 2001. Yeah. And so, you know, I was in elementary school, Andy was in middle school. And I remember just thinking that with the tonality of the show, obviously not in these words, but the sentiment, 
I always found the intro song to be really jarring and I really didn't like it. It like wasn't a part of the show wow. that I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> well, and, you said you're in elementary school at the I time? Was, yeah, I think I was. So in, that makes sense. Yeah, I was in fifth grade, um, you know, just like casually watching Cowboy Bebop. Sure. There's not a lot of fifth graders that are like, you know what, my I really love a good beboppy jazz. <laughs> yeah, you know? in fact, a lot of people who that's my jam. A lot of people who have issues with jazz as a music genre actually bebop is one of the things that sometimes scares people off of jazz because they don't like the sort of avant-garde, anything goes aspects of the musical flow. It's um, too noodly for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, because it's like it was big during like the beat generation when people were doing like stream of consciousness writing and like free form, you know, poetry. And you've got Allen Ginsberg's, you know, doing Howl and things like that, Jack Kerouac. And so I think it totally fits the tone of the show, though. But I could see why as a kid you'd be like, no, that's not for me. Because <laughs> I think it kind of. The takes... worst part of the show, the best part of the show was Ein closely followed by ed like i don't have any use for whatever like all of spike's episodes are super boring i right. <laughs> well, i am shocked yeah which is funny because i was watching it at the exact same time as you guys but i was freshly out of high school uh living at home still and much to my parents probably discomforts didn't have a job so I was just watching cartoons at home. Um, <laughs> sophisticated cartoons. Sophisticated cartoons, of course. Um, and so, like, to me, the music is actually what drew me into the series immediately. I was just like, this is, I could put this on in the background and not even watch it and just listen to it, and it would be amazing. Well, I remember Andy downloaded all of the seatbelt songs or, mm -hmm. you know, paid real money to own them whichever sure. is more legal at the time um, <laughs> yeah we have, we have the cd uh uh soundtrack in our car like sometimes we put it on when we're on road trips oh that's incredible but yeah andy was like a huge fan not to speak for you andy i realize that you're here um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he was like i remember him being just like a huge fan of yoko kano's like her whole score and her vision for what this universe sounded like. And I just had like no use for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there yeah, was, I, I, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Oh, I was just going to say, I, um, I was doing some reading on Yoko Kano and apparently a lot of Edward's antics in the show are based on her in real life. Oh. Or she's, she's sort of like this free spirited, goofy person. And he, I would hang out with her then. Yes. I, I love radical Edward. She's she's very cool, and apparently, uh, according to the director of the series, is uh, Shinichino Watanabe, um, she would actually give them more music than they asked for, which is why there's there's like four different soundtracks that were released for this 26 episode show. She produced so much music, Ooh. and she created the band The Seatbelt specifically for this project. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and she would sometimes, you know, they'd give her. Um, a scene that she'd want to, you know, like here, write some music for the scene and she'd write some music for it and then think about it and then send them more music for it. Because it's like, no, I don't think that first one quite fits. I want it to be more like this. Um, so her, her creative influence uh, is uh, it's tangible all throughout the show. That's so cool. Yeah. And she uh, is a, um, a pretty prolific composer in her own right. She's worked on a lot of other anime. Um, 
you might know her. She most famously from Wolf's Reign or Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, but she's been all over the place. I only realized she did stuff for standalone complex. I loved that show. Yeah. No, she, she composed a little the of that. background music. You know, you got to give mad props to Adult Swim. I feel like my friends and I who watched Adult Swim growing up, we have a really like wonderful and diverse palette for TV shows in general. And then I like, you know, when you meet someone and you can tell that they didn't watch anime when they were younger and you're like, I figure on the trust about you but it's definitely this specific thing like I don't understand how you didn't watch anime (laughs) Um, yeah speaking of adult swim um if you're listening to this and you're now finally piqued your interest and you're like okay I want to watch this before any more spoilers happen adult swim does have its own streaming channel now Ooh. Which I know you can find on Roku, because we did that. Um, cool. And I'm pretty sure all of Cowboy Bebop is on there as well. Do they have Gareth Marenghi's Dark Place on there? I don't know if they that have that. That is on YouTube still, last time I checked uh, but out. They but they do have uh, FLCL, which is oh, the only yeah. other anime I've watched all the way through. That's a good one. That is a good one. That's another one where the music really uh, plays a big role in the, sit- the set and setting. I, right. do, I do think this and... I like this and I like Samurai Shampoo more than I like FLCL, but that that's probably my third favorite of ones I've watched extensively. Cliff's seen most of the episodes of this so far, but there's definitely some holes and apologies to everybody. I just didn't have enough time to fit in the rest of them. I'm trying to finish a digital book, so <laughs> I got into a groove and I'm like, I'm going to work on all the pages all week until my vision started to seem like it was getting affected by staring at a screen. So I already told her <laughs> that uh, warning, we go into full spoilers. So yeah, well, I already <laughs> kind of know about the ending, so it's, it's fine. But, um, but yeah, like I think also, so some of the episodes that we're going to talk about are kind of character specific. Do we want to go more in depth? about each character as we get into those episodes or do we want to do like a more general discussion could probably just come up as the episodes come up yeah we can go through it as the episodes come up Um, i I did want to say there are um in terms of series structure there's um there's basically three kinds of episodes there's the the one-off episodes where the crew is sort of doing their thing together and it has nothing to do with anybody's backstory or past or anything it's just you know a a a bounty hunt in space um yeah there are the the character specific episodes uh like uh we'll be discussing like a hard luck woman speak like Mm -hmm. a child uh, those episodes um, and then there are what I would call the mainline plot episodes, which are the uh, episodes dealing with Spike's past and his motivation um, and the, the major antagonist for the series. And those all wrap up at the in the last two episodes. Um, so the the Toys in the Attic episode is definitely a one shot. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Um, right. But a few that we'll be getting into later on are definitely um, character backstory driven episodes. I yeah. Feel- mostly curated a selection of like Spike and Faye episodes and I would I would make the argument that the show definitely wants you to think that it's about Spike but I think it's just as much about Faye and then Jet and Ed are the two characters who like we get the least fleshing out of them mm-hmm. um, but, uh- even yeah. Jet and Ed still have Jet, if I recall correctly, has two episodes dedicated to his backstory, 
And right. Ed, I think, has the fewest with one, I want to say. Ed doesn't even come in until, like, episode nine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get a third of the way through the series before she's even a part of it. Um, which is weird because, like, she makes them so much better at bounty hunting. Like, yes. they're, right. let's say that they're pretty bad at their jobs before. Well, this, this, this keeps to the trope that, you know, in any futuristic cyberpunk setting, you're always going to need a computer expert. It doesn't matter what you're doing, you need a computer expert. Right. So the way I actually look at this series is it's, uh, it's bookend very well where your first few episodes are building up the cast, and then your last few episodes are that cast dispersing. And I was thinking about it last night of how really what this is, is it's Jet's story. So it's Jet's story of the time of his life when he transitioned and changed out his, his sidekick, basically. Yeah. So he started out with Spike... And then he transitioned to Faye. And this is what happened during those year or years. I'm never quite sure exactly what the time span is from episode one to the final. But yeah, it's kind of like it's if you look at it as um, Jet's story of that one crazy year or so. I think that's kind of a, a, a unique way that doesn't really get talked about a lot. It's, I love that. Yeah, that is a very interesting take. And I, I it's, it's true because Jet is there at the beginning, he's there at the end, and he doesn't have a personal stake in anything that happens with Spike, who the show, you know, kind of the, the beginning of the end of the show revolves, revolves around. Yeah. He's the constant. Yeah. Basically, Spike had, a, or Jet had a crazy-ass partner, and then a bunch of shit went down, and Jet was left with a crazy-ass partner. Just a different one. Just a different crazy-ass partner. Right. I really love the moments in the show, and there aren't that many of them, where Faye and Jet are picking on Spike. There's a couple Mm. really good moments in Cowboy Funk. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is a great episode. I love them and their dynamic especially since Faye has as soon as Faye learns that Jet used to be a cop she's like well that's why we'll never get along and like just apropos of nothing is like okay Faye mysterious background um (laughs) but in Cowboy Funk we get to see Spike really agitated by another bounty hunter who he thinks doesn't deserve to have that label and Faye and Jet just razz him constantly. And I, that's such a, like, it's a lighthearted episode, but it's also, it has, like, serious implications about, like, Spike's ego, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Which is all Spike has anymore, is his Yeah. <laughs> all Spike has, basically, in his life at that moment is the fact that he is the awesomest. Yeah, when, and, and Spike Spiegel is, like, the definition of a, a Quentin Tarantino cool guy, you know? Oh, he's, yeah. He's such a badass. He smokes cigarettes. He's mysterious. He's just... <laughs> oh, can beat him. so cool. His water style, like, not to jump to Waltz for Venus, or jump back to Waltz for Venus, but, like, how that character looks at him 
and it's like, teach me how to be like you. And he's like, you just got to go limp and be really cool. And he's like, I don't even, that doesn't even make sense to me because it only works for Spike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, a lot of the stuff that Spike says, his philosophy of martial arts is based on Bruce Lee. He practices Jeet Kune Do like Bruce Lee did. Um, and the, the water speech is taken directly from something Bruce Lee said. He said, you have to react to your opponent as though you are water. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, so Val, yeah. last night we did check out the YouTube essay that you recommended, and I think I'll post that in the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. So the, yeah. I, I am a huge fan of this uh, YouTube essay by YouTuber Steak, um, and yeah. it's like a wonderful 40-minute episode dedicated to uh, Cowboy Bebop and the concept of the West, and he centers it mostly about... Uh, the Cowboy Funk episode, and he's so smart. Like, I feel bad because I feel like all of my thoughts about Cowboy Bebop are now just blatantly plagiarized from him. (laughs) Um, But I've been watching that YouTube video at least once a month since, like, September. (laughs) Uh, My ex actually told me about it because he and I were watching Cowboy Bebop again in the fall. I've seen this whole series all the way through, like, four times now. So, so you're it's extra a, it's a prepared. Favorite. Yeah, it's a favorite of mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really enjoyed. I thought, I thought he had a lot of really intelligent and insightful things to say. I will say at the very beginning, because there was, there was this. Um, it opens with a talk about the illusion of the idea of the West versus what the West was really like during the 1800s, and you know what we think of as the classic Old West. And it's a really great discussion. And then there's this pause. And it's like we're looking at footage of someone's carpet, like they—it's like a weird skit. Like, like they're don't... like they're high and, or like drunk and like rolling around on the floor Whoa. or something. And I, I looked at Drew and I was like, wait, was Val trolling us? <laughs> she was. But I was just like, that would be kind of that would be kind of a hilarious joke to be like, watch this video, but it's a gag video. <laughs> It's like thirty minutes of just like weird found footage of the inside of someone's kind of grungy apartment. Yeah, (laughs) I will say there were some things inserted that were like a little bit, a little bit disjointed with the discussion. I think unless, unless, oh here, I just had a thought. Unless his video, he was trying to do like a bebop version of video essay, and he's just thrown in some extra random notes to like add to the mix. Maybe I want to believe that probably it makes sense if you watch his other videos. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case. And so he did mention multiple times that he was like took a year off from making videos. So maybe that had something to do with it. But but it was just it was a funny moment, and then it went back to like here we go, we're going down the rabbit hole, we're getting deep with Cowboy Bebop, and I was like, all right, this is what I thought was gonna happen. But there's just like that one clip was kind of long, like. Which is, is he dying and videotaping it? What is happening? <laughs> so fair warning, if you do watch the YouTube clip, it's very insightful. There's going to be like a, a couple of little weird disjointed moments towards the beginning now. And it's about 40 minutes long. So if you're actually, if you were already a fan of this series, I highly recommend checking it out. So, so thanks, Alex. Blatant plug for Stake the YouTuber. I'm not a big YouTube person, but every once in a while, like, uh, I'll get turned on to something and I'll just key really hard into it. Um, I 
got a lot out of the steak video because I'm, you know, hashtag online because I'm a youth. Hello, fellow youths. Um, <laughs> are you a youth or a youth? <laughs> I'm a youth. Um, Sorry, I'm making my cousin Vinny joke. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm a, I've watched a lot of anime, like, in my adulthood, and so hearing him talk about his relationship to other animes and how those animes relate to his just deep and brooding love for a cowboy bebop. And I was like, I feel seen. <laughs> nice. Wow. This guy gets it. He gets it. But yeah. yeah. My first exposure to the show was through you guys. I think I was either visiting you or coming to pick you up to hang out or something, you know, doing the big sister stuff and you guys were watching it and I was like, this is really interesting. And then it kind of, I was aware of adult swim. Um, in high school, we watched a lot of space ghosts coast to coast <laughs> and, uh, I was, yeah, I was just so into that. But, and then I remember when, um, Harvey Birdman came out and so, but this was like, it was unique, and I'd seen a little bit, a little bit of anime, and I wasn't like well versed in the world yet, and I'm still not well versed, but I definitely have some favorites, both feature length movies and some series. But this was, this is still something I think you know, watching this 20 years later, it holds up. It doesn't, it still feels relevant. It's even though it's set in a future that's already very improbable from what our What's the year? It's supposed to be 2071? 2071. Yeah, so 2071 in our world isn't going to look like 2071 in the Cowboy Bebop world because there's already things that would have been taking place uh, to I get mean, them to that trajectory. Th We're not there's gonna be... still time to blow up the moon. You wait. Oh, no. I, okay, so so I don't want to be dark, Wait but like, I mean, the, the, darker, the darker aspects um, of, like, us definitely screwing over the planet and making it uninhabitable for ourselves is, is definitely a reality that I hope never to see. But the, the advanced space travel, I just, I don't think that we're going to be there in 50 years, just given You're all the other not. stuff that we have to, to sort out. And the fact that like, we've been using a, you know, a shuttle style vehicle that has lots of issues for, God, what like 40 years now mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's not going to happen but it's still even even though this is this alternate world and this divergent timeline it's it's very it just it feels it doesn't feel dated I guess is what I'm what I'm stumbling around trying to say sure no it's it's still it still feels futuristic which is yeah. really cool because there's there's a lot in the series that's very relatable like the, a lot of the noir stuff the the crime syndicate episodes that could have taken place in the 1940s you know it, 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 everybody's running around having car uh, gunfights in cars and hanging out in bars and shooting people up and all that stuff um and then on the other hand you've got you know uh, episodes like sympathy for the devil which deal with a, a, an immortal time creature who was created by this weird science that that we figured out how to travel through space with Although the gate accident happens in 2022, I would just like to point that out, that we might still be on track to have something crash <laughs> into the moon. One oh, of the space mm -hmm. cars could crash into the moon. I feel like the only way this timeline could inter involve itself in our timeline and become a realistic thing is if something crashes into the moon that's alien to us and brings us technology beyond our years. Oh, yeah. Mass Effect timeline. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we have a effect episode? <laughs> I mean, it could it could be a you know hitchhiker's guide kind of situation where they're building the time gate that just happens to be through our moon. And oops, sorry about that, guys. We we warned you. There was there was plans in the intergalactic database. You should have known this. It's your own fault for not uh, applying for a reprisal of. Uh, the plans. Well, space, <laughs> is space highway. It's like the on ramp for mm-hmm. Earth, and I just love that. I love that the space highway crashes into our satellite, and then our satellite crashes into Earth continually for fifty something years. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, shall we move on to the next episode? Move on to the next. Yeah. Episode. Just, yes. Cowboy Funk is an episode. It's got a real cowboy in it. It's great. Um, but moving to Speak Like a Child, where there's actual like plot and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we didn't purposely do it, but what we kind of set ourselves up for is we've had a a Monster of the Week basically episode, and then we had um, a Funny Time standalone episode, and then we just had Fay episodes. <laughs> So it's kind of like we base this first delve into Cowboy Bebop. I'm assuming we might delve into Cowboy Bebop again sure. as the Fey cut is is kind of what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, we missed uh, one key Fey episode. Well, two key Fey so episodes for opening. And... Let's talk a little bit about Fey Valentine because this episode is really all about her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Faye Valentine is a purple-haired bounty huntress with amnesia, um, and she is a gambler, a compulsive gambler. She never saves any money. She always goes to casinos. Um, and I, is this the episode where she's at the dog track? Um, yeah, speak like yeah. a child is where mm-hmm. she, she's at the the ponies, and then she loses it all on the puppies. Yep. Right. <laughs> The ponies and the puppies. Well, she starts with the ponies, and she decides the ponies aren't for her. And then she goes to the dogs, and she realizes the dogs are going to bring her great fortune, finally. But, you know, like all compulsive gamblers, your great fortune only lasts a little while. Mm-hmm. So that's basically all she has to do with this episode. <laughs> Other than the fact that the episode is based on finding her, and she doesn't know it. Yeah, and we we when we first meet Faye Valentine, she's working for a casino syndicate in episode five, and she's just trying to con the guys on the bebop. Um, but she becomes a permanent member of the cast later on, and we slowly uncover uh, why she has amnesia, why why she's always on the run, why she's you know into uh, into dubious things like gambling and bounty hunting, and eventually we discover the um, well her her amnesia comes to a conclusion, but we'll get to that. Also, just like a quick edit, she, Faye comes to the the crew in episode three. Like, she's there for most of the series. Oh, is it three? Yeah, Honky Tonk. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, but she departs. She totally rips them off and leaves in episode three. Right. And, and then, then comes she comes back, back mm-hmm. in episode four anyways. So, like, she, she rips them off at the end of episode three. And then in episode four, she comes in and... um what do you call it, extorts Spike to save because yes. they're collapsing the gateway. Mm-hmm. Right. 
so she's she's there like all the way through and then episode five is when she gets kidnapped so like she's just there Right, um, right. Yeah. I would venture to say that Faye doesn't actually become a member of Bebop until the end of the series, and that until then she's basically running it like a long con. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's constantly wavering on whether or not she's just going to leave them forever and just drop this con, you know? Mm-hmm. Jet's constantly complaining about how it's not her own personal repair shop. And... Right. Halfway through the series which is Jupiter Jazz Part 1 and 2. Um, these are pretty, like, Faye-central episodes, too, to a degree, although they do also share some of the Spike backstory with his syndicate days, is we meet a character who addresses Faye's sort of, like, how she's always running away from stuff because she doesn't want to be abandoned. And I think after that is when I consider her, like, that sort of changes her perspective on her relationship with ostensibly her coworkers, um because like she has this this moment where someone calls her out on the stuff that she does and she's like well you're not wrong you're not wrong (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean Faye will always show up whenever spike needs rescuing um like she doesn't miss a beat uh when it comes to rescuing spike um and i think that makes you a coworker, if not, you know, surrogate family member. Sure, it yeah. makes you more than a coworker. Yeah. True. Well, yeah, one of the episodes we're going to discuss after this, she definitely comes in to help, you know. Yeah, I will admit. When you would think she maybe wouldn't. I will admit that other than the episodes we watched for this, that I haven't seen the whole series through in a few years. So some of my memories are a little bit uh, iffy. <laughs> Yeah, so in Speak Like a Child, Faye's contribution to the episode is that she goes and bets on animal racing, and then she pops back into the Bebop two different times, and both times she's convinced that debt collectors are after her, because, like, a main facet of Faye's characterization is that she has an immense, like, multi-million Wulongs debt on her head, um from being hospitalized for a really long time. So she has all this like medical bankruptcy essentially, which, which is sucks, like <laughs> Yeah, which is super relatable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally and you have so much I have so much um sympathy for her character because that's something it was beyond her control. It's not like she went and like racked up a bunch of credit debt, you know, on a shopping spree or had some kind of financial scheme and people are mad and looking to come get her it's totally she had to have you know very expensive extensive life support um because of an accident and now she has this gigantic bill that she has to dodge and I think that's that's just such a interesting detail about her character because she acts so um kind of sociopathic like it's you know a killer be killed world and it, she's got this soft shell inside of, you know, I don't know who I am and I have to run not because I did something to deserve having to run, but because these insane medical bills are, are following me around. Like, that's just so, it's upsetting. Well, and yeah. I mean, we didn't watch the episode where sh- we find out about her amnesia and her, basically her birth, because... Uh, as far as Faye knows until later on in the series, like, 
her whole life started when she came out of the cryo freeze thing. And she basically came out of that and was already in debt and screwed. <laughs> so she was she was a born loser, basically. It's mm-hmm. like slapping a baby with the birthing fees of a hospital stay. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, okay, baby, give us all your money. And the baby's just like, I'm a baby. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't have any money. Um, but yeah, I like Faye's character is so incredible and sympathetic, even though Faye is like such a d-bag she really like <laughs> yeah she's, she's kind of mean she's not a good friend she, she's a jerk when she eats she has this amazing scene i don't remember which episode it's in but there's a dog on the ship and he's a corgi and his name is ein and he's a super smart dog and faye just eats his dog food in front of him right she has a monster <laughs> and i just like what is that who does that she hates ein i don't know why everyone hates ein Ayn <laughs> is amazing. Well, I mean, Ed Ed doesn't hate Ayn. They're like soulmates. True. Ed and Ayn are, are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. They are. They're also the happiest characters in the world in the world of Cowboy Bebop. True. They're also yeah, they're, they're the youngest too. They're, they're the only two without horrible dark brooding events in their past. <laughs> the innocence. Yeah. yeah. Although you don't know about the darkness of Ayn's past. That's, that's true. true. Who, who knows what it took to become a David Dunn? Well, he's a puppy. That's what they say in his, in the Ein episode. They open the suitcase and they're like, oh, it's a puppy. And so you're like, oh, this thing is like six, eight weeks old. Not even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's a data dog. So there's some engineering ha- that happened there. And, you know, I don't know. Which we never really get fully explained what a data dog is. No, we never get an Ein episode, which, you know, is, is a rare neat. missed opportunity for Cowboy Bebop. That would have been so cool to have an Ein, although it might have been sad. I don't know. But, yeah, so, okay, so do we want to talk about the Betamax? Yes. Yes. So the, the episode opens with a, um, a drone delivery service um, with a turtle painted on it, dropping off a cash-on-delivery um, package to the Bebop, and it's addressed to Faye which immediately arouses suspicion in Faye, and she jets because she thinks it might be a bomb or anthrax or something, right? Um, and uh, Jet and Spike are kind of puzzled about what to do about it, and Jet wants to just send it back and get his cash-on-delivery money back, and Spike just rips it open because he's a meathead, um, mm-hmm. which is great. And it turns out to be a Betamax tape, which, is, you know, in 2020, if you, you could be forgiven for not knowing what a Betamax is, but it was basically an alternative to a VHS tape back in the 80s. Um, and it was that it was it was basically VHS and beta were head to head in the market. VHS was cheaper to produce and beta was better quality. And so because of the VHS technology being accessible to multiple manufacturers right. and being less expensive to produce, it ended up dominating the market. Except we had this conversation with Val about a week ago, Andy. It wasn't even actually that much cheaper to produce. It was was like an open source thing. It was the fact that VHS would let anyone make it. And then Betamax was like, we want to have all these rights for this and that. And we're taking this much money if you want to use our superior quality tape and vhs was like yeah our tape is kind of crappy in comparison but you know five bucks a tape sure give it to us well because <laughs> we were 
trying to figure out, um, and we'll we can go into that more when we get into the detail of what's on this tape. But we were trying to do the math on when the tape would have been recorded, mm-hmm. and in the U.S., you stop seeing beta by like it was very rare to see beta by like the early 90s it was pretty much phased out and then vhs dominated the market i'm old enough to remember when beta was still kind of a contender and you could go to the video store and you could rent things on either vhs or beta depending on what player you had at home and um and a lot of people the people who were like the video file heads were like oh no beta is where it's at well japan also was leading the market in technological advances and audio and visual components, and they embraced beta and held on to it for a lot longer. So we were looking at the, we were discussing this. Val was like, "Well, how does this, you know, work?" And we looked it up because none of us knew. But apparently, um, beta was still in use into the early 2000s. Oh wow! So like by the time DVDs came around in Japan and also I think other parts of Asia. Well, because I mean here. So they were still producing beta recording and Mm -hmm. playing devices into the 2000s, and they cut off that um, because a lot of like TV production would use Betamax, and so they cut off the recorders in very early 2000s. I think like 2002. But they kept producing the tapes until 2016. Wow. Yeah. But basically, the the technology over there was still in circulation about as long as VHS was here. Because in the early 2000s, you could still buy new releases on VHS. And, you know, DVD was becoming more and more popular. But there was still enough people that still had VCRs that you could still, you know, in 2001, you could buy a movie on VHS. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, so, like, it's, you know, there's definitely some things that come up, and if you're younger, you're like, what are these things? I don't understand, you know? (laughs) And they explain, they, you know, have this encounter with a guy who hoards and collects old technology, and he kind of explains it within the episode. But it's really interesting, and I have to interject, too, there's a great, there's this very terrible but highly entertaining and watchable late 80s horror movie called Death Spa, which I think kind of became infamous after How Did This Get Made? A film podcast did a kind of a roast of it, and that episode's hilarious. But the movie itself is bonkers. It's so funny, so, like, over-the-top, just oozing with 80s. And there's a line where this girl and guy are kind of, like, bantering back and forth in the gym, and the girl's like, why don't you, you know, do blah, blah, blah for me? And the guy's like, well, I only do this maneuver when I'm showing off and she's like well why don't you show off for me and he's like no you're he's like I'm beta and you're VHS he's like I'm beta max and you're VHS and it's such a like specific burn on that she's a less quality human or whatever and it's so hilarious and so dated and I think of that whenever I hear beta max now because of that movie (laughs) so like when I was re-watching the series in the or I think it was I was rewatching it in college and then again I rewatched it in the fall of 2019 like when I was first watching the show the first run through in the early 2000s I didn't really think about the timelines or like what time Faye lived on earth before she was in her accident and then wakes up in the future like none of that ever really seemed important to me because I you know you don't think abstractly when you're a kid. Uh, But as an adult, I was just like, well, when 
because she's Faye is a she's from Singapore and she's from like a wealthy family in Singapore and you know this from watching the Betamax tape because there's some images of the Singaporean merlion on the tape and that's like how Edward eventually helps her figure out like where she came from before her accident when she can't remember um but Faye is recording this Betamax for herself in like the mid 2000s like 2004 probably or maybe like up to 2006 um and I like when I was thinking about that as an adult the thing that really I found confusing is very much because like I grew up in the United States where Betamax wasn't a thing because I was like trying to rack my brain um thinking about like I never knew what a Betamax was even when I was watching this show the first time and then I definitely like wasn't making even VHS recordings of me and my friends in the mid 2000s when I was also like in middle school and high school. But mm -hmm. then Allison and Drew sort of walked me through. They're like, no, it's because Betamax was more popular and used more widely in Asia. And it just like, it has a lot to do with like the, the Western translation of things. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting because the museum that Spike and Jet go to to collect the Betamax is in old Asia. That's where Ed sends them when well, they yeah, land. Yeah. A wonderful adventure montage of them dredging several stories beneath the earth to find this this old Betamax player. They go into an old mall. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always found that like scenario like it's a great montage, but also it's really hard for me to rack my head around because it seems like they're going for like hours and hours down into this like just pit of despair um and like at certain times they're like you know waist deep in water and then there'll be lower levels than that and then there won't be water and it's just like i can never quite figure out the weird labyrinth that they have gone through like That's or if possibly like that basement's yeah. connected to other basements like a whole underground city mm -hmm. what were you saying val I said, that's just what the future of the world is like, you know? That's just what, just what, how Earth be in the future. Sometimes right. it's around <laughs> and sometimes it's above ground. Just maddening. Yeah. Like, don't, it's like Escherian, um geog geology or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, my only, like, sometimes I just, when I watch it, I just think, like, well, maybe it's an interconnected system of basement dwellers, you know? Like, they go in one building and then come out another building or something. Well, I don't remember. It's, like, one of the times that the Bebop, like, lands on Earth, they mentioned that, like, Earth still has people living on it. Like, not mm -hmm. everyone was able to migrate to the colonies because, like, the colonies are really expensive, especially at first, af immediately after the gate accident. Sure. Um, and so people did retreat underground. And so a lot of those things that became dilapidated over time like are the result of the underground cities having to move because that's where all the earthlings are and Faye make or no ed makes a comment that everyone on earth is weird um, because <laughs> of having to like live underground <laughs> mm -hmm. um which is like an interesting thing to think about because ed's an earthling and Faye is an earthling but spike is a martian and jet is from the jupiter satellite ganymede so, like, they are both just fully space 
born people and they don't really have like an attachment to the earth because it wasn't even a thing by the time they were born. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like that line from the movie that nothing good comes from earth anymore. What? <laughs> so accurate. As they're eating peeps. Yes. Oh my God. They have these weird little peep things. <laughs> the Future peeps. Future peeps. <laughs> uh, nothing um, survives the gate crash but peeps and cockroaches you know what yep. peeps would survive until the end of time so not surprising <laughs> so like jet and spike go to this old museum they come back with a vhs player and edward breaks it to them it's like that's not going to play a beta tape and then they just kind of <laughs> get up. and then another delivery service comes with another cash on delivery request and it delivers a beta player to them. And this is when Faye rejoins the crew at the end of her day. She's like, I heard you missed me. And they're like, give us our money. And she's like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) And so they're going to watch this tape because they've also um, borrowed from the museum, a CRT, one of those gigantic tube TVs that you use for playing GameCube. Um, and uh, Jet's like well we're going to watch this tape but you have to pay me all the money you owe me if you want to watch this tape and Faye's like well whatever I won't watch the tape Um, but they watch it and Faye watches from around a corner because of course she does and I never understood like even on this watching like does Faye recognize that it's herself in that video like I I was never sure how far the recognition like when that started to come back for her. Is yeah, it- no, I, th- I think she definitely knows it's her. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. and I feel like everyone knows it's her because of the voice and just how she looks. Because really, right. she's not that much older than she is in the video. Yeah, she'd be like 10 years older, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Teenage Faye in the video. Right. Yeah. It's like going back to your like 10 year high school reunion. You're going to recognize everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Faye watches and it's young Faye who is shy and sincere and living in Singapore. Faye's family is loaded, which you find out like in a later episode, which is a really ironic thing for Faye because she's like the poorest person in the world. And all she wants is to be rich and fancy. Yelp. I think all she wants is just not be in debt. I'm not sure it goes any farther than that, which is a relatable desire. Uh, but it's weird to see because the Faye we know is crass and she's rude and she eats dog food in front of dogs to mock them (laughs) Faye on the tape is like I hope that you're having a good day future me because I think you're really great and really special and it's just like such a nice sentiment and also like so hopeful in the way that when you are young you have the audacity to be hopeful about things it's heartbreaking like that whole video is just like oh god yeah (laughs) Faye's whole story is sad well and 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 her younger self is like saying don't ever lose me and like literally she did yeah which is such like a a just knife in the back of (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, don't lose me. By the way, yeah, you have no idea who I am. (laughs) Like, shut up, old Faye. You don't know anything. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, that episode hits really hard for me. Um, the older I get, especially because like I'm, I'm at that life reflection period of my twenties where I'm just like, what happened to me? And I, (laughs) I relate really 
strongly and over identify with the character of Faye even oh, though definitely Faye, yeah Faye in the show is like six years younger than I am right now but still a lot of over identification well and I think that the reflecting back and comparing what your young self was like to your now self as you get older I think that becomes more and more poignant the older you get and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad or tragic thing like with Faye, but I, I often think about what would, you know, my teenage or child self think about my adult self now, you know? And I think it's it's an interesting perspective to take, to check in with yourself and think about, you know, obviously the person that each of us are now has so much more knowledge and experience than that young person, but there's sort of like a... a intensely distilled part of your personality that's just it's been uncorrupted by the world so far you know hopefully if Mm -hmm. unless you had a really terrible awful childhood which does happen to some people um but you know for most of us with some bumps and some tragedies that happen but you know you still have enough of a childhood intact there's there's like a core personality in there somewhere and I think that's like a part of your very soul and I think it gets layered with a lot of fear and anxiety and worries about the day-to-day world and you know just debt collectors and well and, and old pain you know it starts to wear on you and I and I think yeah that I mean just watching that tape is just like oh it's it's relatable <laughs> it's also interesting because a big part of Spike's characterization is that Spike is simultaneously running toward and running from his past because he has this like this past with this crime syndicate and he has an a glass eye or a cybernetic eye from the crime syndicate that he always says is like stuck in the past while his real eye can only see the future so he's not able to live in the present is that what he says Andy I'm like having trouble remembering what uh, I, I think he, I think he says that his his artificial eye only sees the past and his yeah. his real eye sees the present right um, but he can never tell which one is a dream and which one is reality okay yeah and so like juxtaposing like Spike's relationship with like his past which is relatively recent like within the last couple of years and how he both like refuses to acknowledge it and bases his whole life around kind of being stuck in these repetitive um, situations where he is seeking vengeance and also dissociating from his current uh, circumstances. It's weird to see Faye sort of like, Faye lives very moment to moment because she can't make plans for the future and she can't remember the past. And the way that those two characters and their relationship to time and identity play off of each other like it's really it's a cool dynamic and it's one of the core relationships of the show Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really neat thing (laughs) well neither neither one of their life situations are enviable though you know because there's when you're shrouded with a lot of a lot of pain from your past and you're not escaping it the idea of sort of being blissfully ignorant and being able to live day-to-day sounds kind of idyllic but then for Faye it comes with a whole other ball of wax you know it's just neither one of them is necessarily having the advantage for what their life situation has presented them with but also like they live in a universe where advantages don't really exist for like the majority of people because of space capitalism like Mm -hmm. there's like slum planets 
and everyone is poor and a, like being a bounty hunter is a thing, like a legitimate mm-hmm. thing that you can do. Like they, they keep mentioning the ISSP in like every episode because that's who you're supposed to turn the bounties into, which is like the inter galaxy police. But I don't really know what they do. Cause it seems like bounty hunters are the one who collect all the criminals. They, mm-hmm. they sit back and relax and collect right. the money. They're, yeah. They're just like a bureaucratic entity that just waits for people to be brought to them. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Is there like a gigantic intergalactic jail that they're housing everyone in? It is unclear. So before we move on to the next episode, <laughs> um, just one thing that we actually talked with, Val about a little bit and then I realized there's like my interpretation could possibly be different than other people's interpretation so like the idea of who sent the Betamax I was gonna bring that up because it is is never it is never explained at all where either the tape or the player came from see in my theory I always thought that young Faye had sent it to herself to be like a time release type of thing for, you know, um, I like a it's time like, capsule it's service like, um, or something. It's like the end of Back to the Future Two. Right. So in the end of Back to the Future Two, full spoilers, spoilers. here, guys. <laughs> um, after Doc Brown like gets blipped out of existence, like moments later, uh, a U.S. Postal Service officer shows up and is like, hey, are you Marty McFly? And he's like, yeah, I am. He's like, oh, man, we've had a bet going on forever that this thing could actually be delivered because, like, it was a timed mail to be delivered to this spot in the middle of nowhere on this time, on this date. And I've always just thought that young Faye sent it to herself to be delivered on date, you know, not discussed. And that date happened to be past or um, after the uh, the accident that Faye was in and the gate explosion and everything. And so it's just the mail system has been trying to send it to her this whole time and just like bouncing all over the universe trying to find whatever, I don't even know what Faye's real name is before. Oh, her last name? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's ever explained. And right. I think I think that's that's plausible just because, like, if you have, um, you have, like, automated sort of AI systems that run things like that, that they would probably be programmed to just keep trying every right. so often until, like, you know, instead of but just giving up, do, like. How do they know who she is? Because her identity is three years old. That's mm-hmm. true. That's the Like there are no records from Earth anymore. Not yeah. to like, I just I have so many strong feelings about this whole Betamax situation. <laughs> right. Well, and, and and even if that were the case, then who sent them the Betamax player? Right. So I always yeah. thought that she, like, if you were a smart kid, Betamax was already kind of going out at that time, so she would know that she would need a Betamax player to play it. So you okay. send her the Betamax and the player. Mm-hmm. I don't think that old Faye from the year 2004 sent future Faye in the year 2070 or 2071 or whatever a Betamax and Betamax player. 
I think it's the Tomite Bako, which is a folktale that Jet is telling Ed about at the beginning of the episode when the Betamax first arrives, um, and which Jet brings up again when they're trying to go, like, get a Betamax player from the underground museum. The Tomite Bako being a mysterious gift that when you open it, ages you from a Japanese folktale, um, Urashima Taro. Um, and so I think that we're, you know, maybe it's a gift from the gods or maybe it's a gift from some sort of like higher entity because it does age Faye technically. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a really excellent point. And I completely forgot about that, that story being told at the beginning, but everything in the series seems very intentional and symbolic in a lot of ways. So that would make a lot of sense. You're probably right. So then is the the Toma, the the <laughs> god is that basically an AI system that somehow found an old an old thing when it facially recognized Faye, you know, 70 how many years later is it? 70 years? Yeah. Yeah, 70 yeah. years later. Well, she's yeah. supposed to be 70 years old, so it's only been about 50 years since her accident. So she was cryogenically frozen for 50 years because she's frozen when she's 20. Oh, no. She's frozen in the year 2014, I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. That's when her accident happens. And then the gate accident happens in 2022. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been like 50 to 60 years for her. Yeah, so facial recognition technology wouldn't really, I mean... But they had put, space flight by the time Faye was um, frozen. Because right. her family's on, like, a space shuttle because they're millionaires. Mm-hmm. Well, and they, they, they also had artificial intelligence at that point because of the episode with the satellite that goes rogue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that satellite's been rogue for a really long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's a stretch. It, it could be it could be a god from the machine sort of situation. Or maybe it's another person who's in a coma who starts a space cult. Like, who knows? There's so I like the ambiguity that we get enough of Faye's backstory to fe- like scratch that itch of like, where did she come from? Who is this mysterious femme fatale? But you don't right. get like they leave loops open because that's the ambiguity that Faye has to live with. Faye is just such sure. a fantastic character mm-hmm. like you know she was an uber rich kid but other than that you don't really know anything about her yeah childhood and to like bring us to the next Faye episode um hard luck woman Faye does run into someone who can tell her about her family and herself and Faye chooses to run from that person because Faye also doesn't want to know because it's not really relevant anymore. Right. Like Faye is who she is now. And that that reaction always kind of puzzled me. Like if 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 it were me and I'd found um Sally, what whatever her last name is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um if I'd found her, I'd be like, okay, just tell me. Because I'm, you know, I'm just that sort of person. But do it, we it, wanna do we wanna jump right into talking about hard luck woman since it's tied to this episode, or do we wanna continue with like episode order? I mean, we might as well talk about hard luck woman since Yeah, because it, it, yeah. it basically it's a two part episode that's mm-hmm. got so, a whole bunch of episodes in between. Yeah. 
So Hard Luck Woman was was the third to last episode of the series for anybody who wants to check that out. But it it is definitely the part two to speak like a child. So yes. and it, it concludes phase uh the history of phase arc and it also concludes Ed's story arc on the Bebop. Right. Yeah. It's and like the, in fact. I see it as the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. well, so because because in it, um, I'm trying to remember. Does she view the tape? They show footage from the tape again in Hard Luck Woman, don't they? Right. Yeah, she, um, she's watching it in her bedroom on like repeat. And and so she ends up learning where it was that she used to live. And in the meantime, there's a lot of other things going on, like um, finding Radical Edward's father. And, yeah. They and, kidnaps ed because ed sees Faye watching the tape and mm-hmm. then Ed's like i know where that is and Faye's like okay you're telling me where that is and so she straps her to the vehicle yeah and then ed tricks Faye. well not tricks because i don't think ed is a tricky person but ed's like oh. priorities are very like the the Ma- maslow's hierarchy so ed is hungry at the time that Faye right. asks this favor kind of mm-hmm. and so ed takes her to earth to an orphanage where ed happened to grow up because ed wants lunch and remembers the food is good yeah <laughs> and, uh, and well, she's I mean, like when you live on the bebop you're right constantly trying to get your next meal mm-hmm. and also ed was on her own for a chunk so you feel like she knows how to survive even though she's just a kid and she doesn't seem to be traumatized by that, she seems to have adapted and be like, yeah, this is what we do. This is where we go, you That's know? That's just life. Well, I liked in... So, we're kind of jumping ahead. Um, in the beginning of the episode, it's Faye watching her video on repeat, and then it she finds out that Ed has been watching in the background the whole time, and Ed makes a comment about how she knows where that place is. And so that's why she gets kidnapped and uh, strapped to the roof. I really feel like she could have fit Ed in the the cab with her, you know? It's hard to tell. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's it's Faye being a dick because Faye's a little bit of a dick. But also, I feel like Ed is a type of a character who'd probably be into riding on the roof and would need to be strapped down so she didn't fly off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's it looks horrible, but at the same time, Ed doesn't seem to mind what's right. happening. Like, She's it just possibly like, yeah. could have been Ed's idea. <laughs> yes. Like, I, mean, I want to be the hood ornament today. Strap me to the front. <laughs> she gave her a walkie-talkie, so if Ed was uncomfortable, all she had to do was say something. <laughs> yeah. Right. But Faye oh, yeah, treats yeah. Ed like an advanced piece of furniture, you know, just kind of some like an obstacle to kind of move over that is sometimes useful. Yeah. Yeah. And so Ed, the first thing she does is she brings Faye to this like strange garbage pit orphanage. And the reason I wanted to still stick with that was, um, there's this great line when the the nun that runs the orphanage talks about how Ed just showed up one day like a cat and like stuck around for a while and then left again like a cat. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, it appears to be Ed's M.O. because that is precisely what she does on the Bebop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we learned yeah. in this episode. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So then but, it's it's kind of a, a two-person episode, I guess, because it's Faye finds out finally, like, I always get the feeling that she actually remembers suddenly. Like, it all comes back to her a little bit. Well, or it some of it does. running uphill right, to the land where her house Right, she knows where she's was, going. And yeah. she starts remembering running up as a younger person, excited to return home. And it's like she slips out of time for a moment and is in her memory running up to the gate. And it's and she talks to Ed about belonging, like how right, it how's feels. the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah. And then Faye doesn't get to belong. No. But Ed takes away that, you know, she needs to maybe figure out where she should be. Because Ed's the only one that actually learns anything. <laughs> um, yeah. And and Ed she, finds out that she's got a dad that she forgot she had. Yeah, dad, she, Edward's crazy, like, super kung fu dad who eats nothing but eggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my and, God. His eggs thing. He's <laughs> sucking on eggs, builds character. <laughs> well, Good for you. A quick way to get a lot of protein and energy. I, I definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs> I just, Maybe I, not amazing to have that be your sole diet. but I can only good eat so many hard-boiled eggs before I start to get in my head about, like, what hard-boiled eggs are. And then I get really grossed out about them. Right. Um, but, yeah. the So, Ed sets a fake bounty on her father to get Spike and Jet to track down where her father is. Yeah. And then Essentially she... Essentially, Ed hires them. Yeah. <laughs> she, she puts a fake bounty on her dad. Unbeknownst is, to them. And her dad's, like, mapping the surface of the Earth, which is always changing because of the constant rockfall from the moon explosion. Yeah, I, I, I would describe his uh, his job as, uh, how do you say it, chaotic? Because it is... Oh, yes. Yeah, because yeah. c- c- the Earth is constantly being transformed by meteor showers, so trying to map it is just futile in the absolute, and he just loves doing it anyway. Right. Yeah, he is Don Quixote. He has his sidekick, who he calls McIntyre, and that's not his name, but that's okay. McEnroe, Mackin whatever. Right, he calls McIntyre, yeah. McEnroe, Mackin... Don't sweat the small stuff. Is yeah, what forget all the different ones he calls him. You get enough of a glimpse of him that you can tell how him and Ed are related. <laughs> yeah. He, he lives in the moment, and he's, and Stake mentions this in his YouTube video. He talks about this extensively, how, like, Ed and her dad are both these, like, incredibly hopeful, optimistic people because of their relationship to the ever-changing surface of the Earth, where it's, like, it's not necessarily uninhabitable it's just different inhabitable and ed's father is willing to do the work for that and now ed is old enough to come along um whereas you know he dropped her off at a daycare like five years ago and forgot about her and that's how she wound up in the orphanage (laughs) right which i have to say was an intense childhood fear of mine whenever i was dropped off at daycare (laughs) i would not not be picked up again but (laughs) It didn't seem to break Ed, though. No. It is kind of like, it's insane, though, when Ed does find her father. There's, like, this great reunion where they both remember each other, because they both forgot each other. (laughs) Um, And then, like, everything's peachy and good, and you're like, oh, great, she'll be with her dad, it'll be all great. And then her dad immediately jumps in a car and drives away, just leaving her behind. I feel like... 
Ed would be able to find him again when she wants to, just because of her her hacking skills. Like, I feel like she's resourceful enough. And I think I kind of envision that in the future of this story, that Ed sometimes meets up and hangs out with her dad, and then sometimes goes off and has her own adventures. Like, I don't feel like Ed is destined to just be a sidekick on that mission. I feel like Ed's going to discover her own her own mission as she grows. Again, yeah. like a cat. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yeah. she can, like, now, like, touch base with him from time to time. I don't know what, like... So there's three very sad scenes for me in this episode, and they all happen in, like, the last ten minutes. Yeah. So sad scene number one is Faye making a dirt bed oh, in the twins yeah, that that's heartbreaking family's mansion because she yeah. has made a speech about how finding where you belong is the most important thing and also like we see like after Faye's memory like fully returns to what extent we can tell that it returns like Faye is gentle and soft-spoken and like she says something really thoughtful to Ed about finding family and finding where you belong and how that's a really important journey to take as a person. And then, you know, she runs off to sleep in her dirt bed because her whole family's existence has been wiped out, presumably. And she just like the sun sets on Singapore and she lays down in her dirt bed. And that's just like, that's the end of phase part in this episode. Right, because that's just her life. Now. Well, and she, yeah. but she just like it's it's really it's really tragic because she's she's had this amnesia, and now she has she might not remember everything, but she at least is bearing the gravity of what she actually lost. Because yeah, you know, it's one thing. It's hard enough, I think, to be in a scenario where you were asleep for a long period of time and you wake up, and a lot of the people that you knew are no longer alive just because of you know the consequence of time passing. But that the earth has been so transformed that really there's a merlion statue still. And that's about it. And who knows how long that's even going to last before, you know, a rock comes out of the sky and obliterates that. But there's her home. She can't go home again. You know, she wants home on some level. And now she remembers a lot better what home actually was. And it's completely gone. And now she has to mourn that. And it's adding a lot of weight to her character that didn't used to be there when she was free of memory. Yeah. It's super cruel. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it was, it's terrible. I mean, honestly, like I look at something like that and it's just like the loss would be so hard to deal with that You'd be like, well, now I remember what I lost. Like, what does the world have for me now? You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's rough. Got her friends on the bebop. <laughs> yeah, or she could hang out with her friend that's, you know, 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, Sally Young. Still kicking. She sort of, like, Irish goodbye that conversation. It was very odd. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Like, so who's like, this, Grandma? Oh, I'm just a ghost. Bye. Yeah, Bye. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> I'm going to so- bounce now. The second, like, really sad scene for me, I think is supposed to be a funny scene. But so, like, Spike and Jet, after interacting with Ed's father, have all of these hard-boiled eggs now. And so Jet, who's, like, the house mom of the ship, is like, dinner time. And no one comes, even though this is the first time they have food, like, ever. And it's just piles of eggs. (laughs) 
And it just, it's just this scene where Spike and Jet are sitting across from each other and there's five places set because right, both of the right. girls and Ayn and they all just have these piles of eggs. And Spike and Jet just shove their portions of eggs like aggressively into their mouths as They're the cool music hand Yeah, they, I totally got vibes like that from this scene. And then they start aggressively eating the like the other portions of eggs because they realize like they don't know when these people are coming back. Yeah. Right. And they don't know when the next time they're going to have food is. Yeah. Right. But it's like, it's really bittersweet because you can tell by them, like by Jet putting out five portions that he's just like, there is some continuity in their routines together where it's like at the end of the day, the five of them come together and like eat whatever it is or like they share this moment of like, domesticity together right. and then yeah, they're they're like a makeshift dysfunctional little family but it's all uh, any of them have and it's meaningful and it's completely challenged by this reality where it's like you like if you watch the series you realize it takes a really long time for them to get there as a group because before that it's sort of like every man for himself but now mm-hmm. there's such intention in distributing the resources that they have and making space at the table for all of them. And then three of them don't even bother showing up. Yeah. Right. Well, two and of them I, aren't even coming back. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, and I want to, and I want to mention all this is happening while a, a, a wonderful song called call me, call me is playing in the background, which is a song, if I'm not mistaken, is about um, someone who wants to find connection and love and is waiting on someone to make that connection with them. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it is it is a really well-constructed series of events here. Yeah. When Spike is smoking and he's on the deck looking out at the ground from out, outside the bebop, and Jet is wearing his apron and comes and stands next to him, like the sad parents from that Beatles song where their child runs away. Yeah. Um, they just see that Ed has written a bye-bye to them. Mm-hmm. And they realize that, like, Ed's not coming back. They don't know if Faye is coming back. Ina is not coming back. And it's just, like, the two of them again. And they didn't want these people slash dog on their ship in the first place. But now there's, like there is such sadness and they are also experiencing a loss. Like everyone is mourning something here. These people made a space in their lives and now there's a hole when they're not there. And then they remember why they didn't make space for people before. (laughs) Right. Exactly. They've been closed off this whole time. This is what you get. And and I think it's, I'm trying to remember episode wise, but like, um, it's the first the first episode when Ed becomes a member when Spike says, you know, there's three things I can't stand. <laughs> it's dogs, children, and hard-headed women or something like that. Yep. And all three of those things are now a member of their crew. <laughs> also in this episode, in Hard Luck Woman... I find it hilarious that when they do find out that this is Ed's father, like, everyone is shocked that Ed has a father. And, like, I think back, I'm like, 
no one ever thought like we now have a child on board. Parents, you know, they just like accepted this child into their life as a little stray. (laughs) That's cool. We'll take this kid with us. I'm sure nobody's gonna miss him. Well, she she's legendary hacker radical Edward. You know. I am not convinced that there is a DHS situation in space. There doesn't oh, really seem to be any unifying government body to monitor where children are. That Earth. went out with the especially, gate collapse. Especially on Earth. <laughs> yeah. Earth, oh, is, Earth is just free game for picking up children. When when oh. Ayn catches up with Ed as she's leaving and like wants to come along and she tries to oh, get Ayn to stay behind. Yeah, I was like, oh no, this is going to be like more heartbreak. I don't know if I can take this. And then she's like, all right. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I would be happiest with Ed. And they're both, you know. They can go data hack the universe. Right. Together. Like the two, yeah. two of them, I feel like will be all right. And they, you know, they need each other. And so I think it's sweet that, that that's how that ends for them. That they go off together. Yeah. And my perfect conclusion, I think that, eventually Radical Edward finds out how smart Ayn really is, and they get, like, little data links together, and they have conversations. That would be really cool. <laughs> and also totally believable. I'm, I'm looking for the future buddy buddy comedy of, you know, Ayn, I'm assuming also because of the research done to him, can live longer than a normal dog. So, you know, older Edward and older Ayn just going around doing their own bounty hunting maybe in the future. There is something comforting about Ed's farewell that I never thought about because, like, she's definitely saying goodbye, but she tells Ayn, she's like, when she's first telling Ayn that he can't come with her, she's like, Edward doesn't know if she's going to come back, but, like, she leaves it ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And also, Ed is so smart and so good at hacking and their space internet that Ed leaving probably is rather inconsequential because she can find the bebop whenever she wants to. Yeah, like, she originally took over the bebop and brought it to her. Yeah, yeah right. D- just so, because she thought they were cool. Yeah. Right. So she's really been cool. watching a lot of TV and she kept hearing this bebop right. about. And then so <laughs> she searched the internet. She went down a, a, a YouTube slash uh, Wikipedia rabbit hole for a while, realized that Cowboy Bebop was the coolest, and she wanted to be part of that because she's a kid and she thinks that's cool. So she basically made them her new playmates for a while. They're lucky she's a kind person. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, like, I guess of all of the goodbyes in the series, Ed's is maybe the least consequential, which makes sense because we spend the least amount of time with her. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that probably about does it for Hard Luck Woman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could we could talk about Piro LeFou, but we've also been talking for like two hours. So. Yeah. Well, I think I think just real quick, the thing I would say about that episode and why we picked it was because it's it's more horror centric and we do, you know, horror and sci-fi here. And then that one is a visually stunning, fun also creepy episode because it takes place in this really epic amusement park and yes. there's a big showdown in the amusement park and so we don't necessarily need to go into to a lot of detail with that to give an overview of how we feel about this series but it, it it's just 
a really fun watch, I think. So. Right. I feel like Cowboy Funk, we could revisit another time and talk more about Spike, since Cowboy Funk is so interconnected with Spike. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we Not really to his okay, story right. at all, but to his fragile ego. Yeah, his 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 character. His... <laughs> but definitely um, the Mad Pierrot, or Mad... Anyway, yeah, Pierrot. Yeah, that episode to me, like that and um, Toys in the Attic, have always been the most horror centric. I felt, mm-hmm. um, and I always kind of actually thought the Mad Pierrot was more of a horror than than uh, than Toys in the Attic, just because it's like that science gone wrong, turning this man into like a crazed inhuman serial killer yes it's it's like v for vendetta if instead of v you created the joker (laughs) right well allison because it was her first time watching it she made the comment that it was like they took the joker and the penguin and made one horrible person (laughs) (laughs) i also thought and and we looked this up later apparently um at the beginning there's a pink floyd cover at the beginning of the episode no it's it's um during the flashback scene where it's showing him being experimented on which is the most horrific part of the episode makes sense because pink floyd in their in their music also because of you know things that happen with the mental health of one of the band members were very keyed into mental health and and issues and also just you know anybody watches the film the wall knows how they feel about like the machinations of society chewing people up and spitting them out and turning them into basically ground meat (laughs) in a metaphorical sort of way so i think it it was very fitting that you would have some music referenced from that band when you're dealing with with that storyline for that character yeah, the, the the song is specifically on the run from Dark Side of the Moon, and it's a, it's a good cover, and it fits the the flashback perfectly. You know, I thought that's what I thought when I first heard. I was like, wow, this really sounds like like Dark Side of the Moon. And mm-hmm. it's been a while since I listened to the whole album, and I was like, oh, I don't know. And I thought, well, maybe it's inspired by it or like a riff on it, but it was definitely a cover because Drew went and looked it up. Mm-hmm. So more more evidence of just the the musical background being such a well-thought-out component of this series. Oh, yeah. yeah, and just her genius of just putting all that together and mm-hmm. being so involved. Because a lot of times, like, people that write scores for things will just be like, okay, I'll write a score for this, and they'll watch it once, or they'll, you know, get told what the mood is they want, and they'll just write a thing real quick. But she, like, invested into it, you know? yeah. Madcap musical genius Yoko Kano. Yeah. So any any other final thoughts before oh. we wrap up? I was just gonna say I think Yoko Kano's like a like a cool, fun, whimsical John Williams. <laughs> nice. She invented a sound that we all relate to that exactly. evokes a memory. She she definitely um, has a voice, you know, in her music. Mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't really have any final thoughts I, d- I just wanted to mention that since we talked about Faye so much in this episode that in the english dub which is what we all watched um she is voiced by wendy lee who is a pro- prolific voice actress and i think does a lot to bring uh 
Faye's English localization to life because she did. There's a lot of range going on in Cowboy Bebop. And oh, yeah. yeah, and and Wendy Lee just kills it. I mean, the entire cast kills it, but because we're talking about Faye, I just want to want to point out the incredible talent that went into uh, the voice work here. Yeah, the voice work throughout the thing is great, and it's they had to have really amazing voice actors, I think, just because of the depth of this anime. Um, and if at this point you still haven't watched Cowboy Bebop, seriously, just watch it, because even if you're not, a, if you're just like, oh, anime, cartoons, whatever, um, I feel like Cowboy Bebop is a realistic life scenario kind of feel like it feels more like just a gritty movie mm-hmm. um, than like a cartoon at all. I mean, there's cartoonish moments every once in a while and like their constant weird humor about people being hungry, which is so, so stuck in anime culture. I'm not, I still don't get that one, <laughs> that everyone always has to be starving in anime. Mm, I also um, think that when you're just, when you're traversing through space, and you're, you know, kind of living on the fringes, that's just something that's happening. Because I think that's also kind of plays sure. in, not as much in Firefly, but I feel like the characters in Firefly have moments where we're yeah, lean. And... Any anime I've ever watched, there seems to be, like, a joke about people being hungry. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, other than those little small snippets of, like, cartoonish moments, that it is, it's a very realistic very um, gut-wrenching in moments, very, like, uh, exciting, makes you happy in moments. You know, you you really get involved in this like you yeah. would a epic motion picture, you know? Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I think it's really cin- cinematic, and I think it's, it's highly accessible to people who aren't originally going to check out some anime. So. And we yeah. haven't spoiled the ending for you yet, so... No, no, we can do that at a later date. Yeah, we'll do that to. the next time. And um, um, So really, go watch Cowboy Bebop. Um, it's entirety. It doesn't really take that long to watch the entire thing. Maybe About check how out... How long did it take you this last time? Well, I mean, I did have to go to work some of those days, so it, it took me four days, but I spent seven hours watching it yesterday, which is, like, over half the series. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the episodes are, are about 20 minutes long, so they're easy, easy to digest if you want to just do a couple episodes at a time, or if you want to binge, you know, three or four, you can definitely do that in a sitting, mm-hmm. or, like, I don't know, I think... 16 because I thought we were recording last night so I was like I gotta cut it off right at 7 but I kept watching until like 9 <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah definitely if you're if you're a fan of cyberpunk if you're a fan of John Woo bullet action films if you like kung fu movies if you like westerns noir. if you like just space adventure if you like noir right. I mean, it's it's got something for everybody if you hate right. capitalism I, it, it, yep. it doesn't have schmaltzy romance. Uh, it doesn't have that. Yeah, that's that's about it. But it is it, heartfelt and if sentimental. If the only thing you watch is rom-coms, this one's not for you. Maybe not. <laughs> no. If you watch everything else there is other than rom-coms, check out Cowboy Bebop. Um, if you like at like three out of the, what is it, six things we just listed that it mm-hmm. is... Um, if you like three of those genres, do yourself a favor and just go out and buy the whole series. 
Um, <laughs> or check out check out that Adult Swim streaming yeah. service. Yeah. There's going to be lots of other good stuff on there. And you I know, know you can find it on Roku. That's where I found it. Also, <laughs> or they probably just have it. All the Adult Swim properties are on Hulu, too. Oh, okay. There you go. I've watched it the last three times that I watched it. it was Except on Super Jail. I don't know why Super Jail isn't on Hulu. It's too good for this world. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know about All right, that. guys. Well, I think, I think that wraps up our discussion, at least for this time, for Cowboy Bebop. We decided, originally we had mentioned that we were going to do Erie, Indiana for this episode, but... You know, time got away from us, and traditionally in May, we like to cover something animated, which is not an original idea. It's something I stole from a podcast I love called the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. I will post a link on our homepage to the YouTube video about Cowboy Bebop that we mentioned earlier, and also the Talk Without Rhythm podcast site, because they cover really quality animation films every year for their animation month and I just thought I don't know that's a fun idea let's play with that but um it's it's typically a solo cast show uh put on by El Goro and I'll post the link so you can check out what they covered this year but there's a backlog of episodes and there's always a wide range of good quality things and if you're somebody who enjoys Cowboy Bebop I think you'd also probably like what that show has to offer um and so coming up this summer I think we will be doing Erie, Indiana next, and then we're going to kind of, we've been, we started off the year in a 70s, sort of a 70s sci-fi horror realm for about three episodes, because we started off with Space 1999 and um, went into Kolchak, um, but we, I think for the summer, because it would be kind of fun, and also because, you know, there's a lot of things that we can't do that we would normally be able to do this year because of what's going on. Um, we thought it'd be fun to kind of have a 90s nostalgia summer, kind of like summer camp. So we'll start with Erie, Indiana, and then we'll have a couple other similarly themed, fun 90s episodes that are in the sci-fi and horror genre. And I think I think if you like that kind of thing, you're going to like what we have coming down the pike for the summer and hope that you will continue to join us with that. Um, thanks as always for listening. You can check out show notes, um, photos, and relevant links on our website, thehaunteddavenport.com. If you're not already listening through Apple, um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, we're available there. Um, and I think I think that's about it. So, see a space cowboy. Some people call me the space cowboy, yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice, cause I speak of the pompadus of love. People talk about me, baby. I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong Well don't you worry baby, don't worry Cause I'm right here, right here, right here, right here at home Cause I'm a picker, I'm a grinner I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner I play my music in the sun I'm a joker I'm a smoker, I'm a midnight toker, I get my loving on the run.